Come on, let's just lift him up right now. Could we just make that our prayer? God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you. I'll follow you, Jesus. Wherever you would have me to go, Lord, wherever you would desire. Is that how you feel today? I don't know about you, but I feel that that very same way. God, wherever you would have me to be, I want to be in the center of your will. Amen? Stand with me, if you would, as we're getting ready to go into the word of the Lord, and we stand in recognition and give honor to the word, but at the same time, we also give honor to he that would deliver it today, a very good, close, personal friend of my wife and I, uh, Pastor Varnell and his wife, uh, who is actually all the way across the country today. She sent him here to do this by himself. Uh, she's in California. It is her brother's anniversary service today. So he's missing an anniversary service for a family member to be here with us today and to preach the word. They pastor a thriving church in the Richmond area, and we're so glad to have Pastor Varnell here today. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord as he comes to this pulpit? in the air, voices raised. Let's praise the name of the Lord. Come on, I praise you today, Lord Jesus. I need your Holy Ghost in this house. We need your anointing, God. Do your work, Lord Jesus. Do your work, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am aware that this is an anniversary service, and uh, sometimes when we celebrate milestones and events, we um, can often get caught up in the fact that it is about a specific purpose to honor someone uh, and something. And as a result of that, we apostolics can tend to kind of... Uh, Say it's different today. It's not our normal routine. So um, 
I, uh, we're going to just wait and see what happens. I don't want us to do that, if you will. I, I would like for you to help me today. Uh, I need for you to help me today. Um, can we just kind of pretend like that this is our normal Sunday? And let's let our hunger for God and our desire to be in the presence of the divine Hallelujah. See, now that's what I want to feel. That's how I like to have church. I like to have a move of His Spirit, the presence of the Lord that moves freely. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, if we can maintain our focus in that vein today, we will leave here changed because never does flesh walk amongst the presence of God that it is allowed to stay the same. I give honor first and foremost to all of the saints of God who have hung in there and stayed through the lean times and brought us to this point with your faithfulness. I told our church a couple weeks ago, and I know some of you ladies are wearing high heels and you're standing up. I understand that. And if you need to be seated, if you're of an age like me where things hurt, uh, you go ahead and have a seat. For the rest of you, stand here with me. Amen. But uh, I told our church, I said, in the last days, I was sitting in my chair on a Tuesday morning three weeks ago, and the Spirit of the Lord just swept it. You ever have one of those times when God just kind of invades your space? I was reading my Bible, but I, it wasn't his turn yet. And all of a sudden, his presence just swept into the room. And much like now. And I felt the sweet touch of my friend. And the Lord, I don't say this often. Brother Mark's here. I'm his, I've been his pastor for years now. He knows I don't. I'm not one of those guys that gets up every morning and plugs into God and gets my download. I, I'm, I'm not that guy. I rarely say the Lord spoke to me specifically, but he did. And he said, the test that will cause you to endure in the last days will be radical, rabid, Faithfulness. Rabid, radical, insane, make no sense faithfulness. 
My family will be there no matter what. Period. No matter what. Because we live in a time of increasing evil and the darker the day gets, you're not going to overcome darkness because you become the spiritual giant. Because there's tests that come along in life. If you've lived for God very long, you've been through some. And if you haven't, hang around. It's coming in this life. You shall have tribulation. And what is going to keep the church in this hour of political turmoil, social unrest, racial strife, what's going to keep the church is radical faithfulness. You're not going to overcome the trials of life and the challenges of life by fasting two days or reading your Bible one day and praying five hours, that's not how this is done. You're just going to be radically faithful. And therein lies our edge. Amen. I want to give honor to the bishop. He came to Virginia about the same time I did. We came within two months of each other, I believe. Three months. December 25th is my 20th pastoral anniversary in, at our church. And uh, I feel every year of it. Amen. Amen. And uh, they said, well, pastor, are you going you're gonna to stay 40 years till you're 72? And I said, absolutely not. When I'm 70, I'm going to back up 10 yards and punt. Uh, y'all can just, I'm going to sit over on the front row and tell y'all how good you're doing. Amen. <laughs> but uh, I give honor to the bishop for 20 years of service and uh, to this church. Amen. And to Brother and Sister Fitzwater, passionate, driven, exemplary leadership. And I give honor to them. I've known her quite some time. She knew me when I had hair and it was a different color. Uh, and uh, I had less of this and this. Amen. You know what we call fat apostolic camouflage. <laughs> That's what we call it. You put that on, you just fit right in. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But I do believe that the future is bright for the lighthouse. You have done a beautiful job on your new place. Amen. I knew this when it was a gym building, something or other back here. And a uh, place for the kids to run around after church. I don't know what it was, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Y'all have done an exemplary job, beautiful job. And it's cool in here. And uh, to us hefty folk, that matters. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But uh, I want to encourage you to not just be faithful, but I want you to be passionate. Yes. To execute pastor's vision. I don't think you caught that. I'm going to say that again. You need to develop a passion to execute your pastor's vision. Lord, give me passion to execute my pastor's vision. If he don't have a vision, we're going to wander around and get lost and die. That's what the Bible says. Without it, we will die. But with it, it will die. You didn't hear me. Without his vision, you'll die. Oh boy. But unless you execute it, his vision will die. There is a symbiotic relationship here 
between leadership and laity. It must work hand in hand. Pastor, you point, we'll march. That should be our battle cry. So I encourage you to do that today. And I want to thank Brother Mark Williams for driving me. I had a migraine all night last night. I hardly ever have any headaches or anything like that. But last night, uh, yesterday evening, I began to feel my fingers tingle and my hands get numb. And I went, oh boy, here we go. And so I took a whole lot of drugs in Jesus' name. <laughs> and uh, here we are. So whatever I say does not reflect on the management. <laughs> Amen. Percocet is a wonderful thing in Jesus' name. But this is from a guy who never takes any type of medication. So when I take a Percocet, I, I'm like that kid who run, 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 boom. And so last night I took a Percocet and went wherever it took me. And, uh, but I am, I am grateful to be here today. I'm honored to be here. And I want to thank Brother Mark. He knew he was driving me at 9.15 this morning when I walked into the church. And he's in our coffee cafe. And I said, Tag, you're it. I have a migraine and you're driving. Uh, he said, yes, sir. I want to tell you folks something. I know he's here and he hates this, but I'm his pastor. And so I don't care what he hates. Amen. Uh, you will hear. You will hear from this young man in the kingdom. I'm just going to lay that out there. Now, right now, he's probably wanting to find a rock to crawl under. He hates to be the center of attention. But I know of no other more prayerful, studious young man alive today in this earth with no more of an anointing and a call. He's not a call to be an evangelist. That young man is called to be a pastor. He has a pastor's heart and a pastor's spirit. And that young man is quality. And I thank him for letting me be his pastor. Psalms chapter 27, and then we'll go back one chapter to Psalms chapter 26. While you're turning there, I uh, wish I could have brought my family, but uh, my wife is in California at her brother's church anniversary, and um, or that's the excuse she used anyway. <laughs> you know, Newport Beach is, let's just go. Do we need a reason? Uh, 69 to 73 degrees year-round, about 10% humidity on a bad day, right on the ocean. Let's just go. Y'all want to just leave now? She, uh, her parents live out there. Life is rough, and then you die. Amen. But, uh, I wish they could have come with me, but I have been Mr. Mom this week to an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old boys. And so basically I've cooked all week uh, because they eat every 20 minutes. <laughs> Amen. If you got food left over, call the Varnells. I have got two vacuum cleaners. Amen. <laughs> Verse 1, Psalms 27, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. In the middle of a war, verse 4, he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life. Watch this. To behold the beauty of the Lord. You can't see his beauty if you do not dwell in his house. Some folks want that once a month fix. And they wonder why life is so ugly. I'm going to just leave that lay right there. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Watch this. For the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. Now we misquote this next part of this verse every single time. We say in the secret place of his tabernacle. The word place is not in the text. It says in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. I'm not here today to preach about the secret of the tabernacle. I'll maybe do that later if, if I ever get invited back. But we'll, we'll see. He shall set me upon a rock. Everybody say solid. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Say perspective. Now wait a minute. I'm in a war. I'm in a battle. I'm surrounded. But I'm on a rock. I'm elevated. I have perspective. I can see what they can't see. I have a note here that says, do not preach this. <laughs> I have a trouble when you start reading the Bible, you have a hard time not preaching that part when you're trying to get to the other part. Sometimes I just preach it all and folks get mad. But anyway, <clears throat> he said, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, because of this position of solidity and perspective, this is what it makes me do. Because of that, therefore, that means because of, I will sing praises. <laughs> I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifice of joy. I will, yea, sing praises unto the Lord. So because of where he put me and because of what he gave me perspective, I will respond with worship. Still in the middle of a war. Then he says this, now I feel like I can pray. Hear, O oh Lord, when I cry with my voice. Some folks want to short circuit the solidity of their life and the perspective of praise and worship and go straight to asking. Have mercy on me and answer me. When thou said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. When you said pray, I said, good, let's do it. Verse 9, i got to hurry. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. In other words, I know that I'm flesh and I'm going to mess up. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. No matter what happens. Verse 11, notice this. This is our message for today. Told you all I had to not preach that stuff. Teach me thy way. Not ways. Teach me thy way. Oh, Lord. Notice the next thing he asked for. And lead me in a plain path. Everybody say a plain path. Because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. And he goes on. 
But in chapter 26, you go back one chapter and go straight to verse 12. He says something else. Now, when we begin to study, we realize chronologically 27 is before 26. They didn't put, you know, the Psalms are not chronological order, right? Psalms 26, 12, he said, My foot standeth in an even place. Now, he just said the one before, you put me on a rock, you gave me perspective, I worshiped, then you said, let's pray, I said, let's do it. And then he says, again, he reiterates, my foot standeth in an even place. Where is that? In the congregations will I bless the Lord. Psalms 27, 11 teaches, says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. The literal translation of Psalms 27 and 11 would read this way, lead me in a path of clarity. Lead me in a path of certainty. And then this is what I find most interesting. Because of those who observe me. They're watching me. David, they translated it my enemies. But the word literally translates those who watch me. Lead me in a plain, sure, certain, clear path. My life needs to be certain and clear and plain. Why? Because people are looking at me. People are watching me. And then he said, my foot stands in an even place. In this text, even place is rendered level, balanced, clear, plain place. One translation says, sure place. And then the last scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 8. I'm not going to read the whole Bible, just most of it. 1 Corinthians 14, 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Who will prepare for battle? I want to talk to you for a little while from this subject today. A lighthouse for a confusing time. Now, I am kind of known... For a lot of things. Uh, some good, some bad. Depends on who you talk to and when they knew me. Um, but I'm known as a doctrinal preacher. I'm known as someone who preaches doctrine. I preach. My dad raised us. Don't tell a bunch of stories. Preach the book. However, when preparing for this today, the Lord directed me here. A lighthouse for a confusing time. And I have what I believe to be a word for this church. And if you will help me and pray with me, I will get to the point, stab you with the point, and we can go eat. Amen? Everybody say praise the Lord. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Thank you, sis. I'm not going to torment them with singing anymore. In 1986, Phil Collins, I'm dating myself, uh, back when music was music. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, I'm a Motown guy, you know. That's how far back I go. Uh, I, I even know who Muddy Waters is. 
Well, if y'all don't know who Muddy Waters is, you don't know who, you ain't never heard no guitar player until you heard Muddy Waters. Uh, of course, I'm from Louisiana and Mississippi. I just got the mud out from between my toes. <laughs> and uh, we know how to eat, and we got some music down there. Amen. But I was a fan of Mr. Collins. Uh, and then I prayed through, but anyway. In 1986, Phil Collins uh, and his band Genesis had a song that rose to the top five on the charts and stayed there for a long, long time. And it was entitled, A Land of Confusion. A Land of Confusion. Uh, it was a commentary by the youth of that day on their generation and their world. Um, the confusing nature of society in the 80s. Little did they know that in 2017, that would look like the Garden of Eden. Because it has not gotten any better. It has gotten increasingly darker and much, much worse. And I'm not here today on a mission to depress you, but I do want to tell you where you're living. We live in a land of complete and total confusion. And the landscape is dominated by the almighty question. Not a lot of answers, but boy, we got questions. We got some professional question makers. Very few answer givers. We are a society that has been raised since the middle 50s to question everything, rebel against any authority, and trust no one. And it has eroded our society to the point to where now the police are the bad guys. And are there bad police? Absolutely. Okay, there are, but there's bad bankers, there's bad preachers, there's bad people like you. So if we want to start judging all policemen by the few bad ones, we're going to need to judge you too. Oh, boy. I figured I'd, get, I figured I'd go about like that. That's all right. I can preach by myself. I've done this before. But we live in a society of questions. And the answer sought is always human reasoning. We are adrift in a sea of situational ethics that uh, has loosed us from any and all solid moral absolutes. The only absolute that we want is that there is absolutely no absolutes. There is a desperate need in this hour, one glaring desperate need above all else, in my view, and I'm preaching so we get to do my view today, we need clarity. Unmistakable moral clarity. And there's only one place that this has ever been displayed, and that is in the God-breathed Scripture and His church. Every other concept or context for morality has been exposed by time, its motives laid bare, its ideals vanquished in the bright glare of human depravity. In other words, uh, all human ideas get screwed up by human behavior. But only 
one source, the divinely inspired Word of God has stood the test of time and circumstance. And the Bible said of itself, not one jot or tittle of this Word will fail. Never one time has the Word been debunked or disproven. Never once. It has stood as an unassailable rock of morality and clarity. And for that reason, if no other, I believe that is why that the humanists hate so badly the Word of God. It's hated by humanists. It's hated by Satan. It's hated by false prophets. They've tried everything. Nothing has moved the Word of God. Nothing has shaken it. Nothing has changed it. It just stands there as this immovable constant rock oh hear me and it is the world's first and only code of moral absolutes and if you're looking for that certain rock that God placed his people on and lifted them up so they could see their enemies round about don't look to human reasoning look to the word of God oh clap your hands shout unto the Lord Our world seems to be adrift, bereft of any certainty concerning anything of eternal import or value. The only thing we seem to be certain of is that we don't want to allow any moral absolutes. We as flesh have joined forces with the prince of darkness to assist him in his age-old quest to separate us from all moorings of morality set out by God himself with the express purpose of guiding and protecting us from both ourselves and our adversary. And we have decided to team up with Satan to separate ourselves from the only thing that don't change. I am absolutely certain that our world now views morality as something to be bent and fit and assist us in our quest to express our true selves. Whether it be abortion, homosexuality, political bent, scripture, or dare I say even the context of God's church. The spirit of flesh and its advanced man, humanism, is ruling the day and guiding us, uh, leading us ever rapidly toward the cliffs of moral decay and ultimate doom. And we're going along questioning those going in the opposite direction. See, gender is being attacked as simply a social construct made up by man. No, it's not. If you plumbed like a woman, you're a woman. If you got male plumbing, you're a man. But they want us to muddy the water and say, no. That's just something made up by man. You can be what you want to be. I am what I want to be. Leave me alone. Ain't a man alive with any scent want to be a woman.
if a man had one baby, the race would die because we'd tell each other, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're crazy if you do it. Don't do it. Hey, dude, don't really. Just trust me on this, all right? We're going to all die. That's all right. Got enough food to last till we all die. We're good. When we're gone, we're gone. Nobody. Don't see a button on the bottom. So gender is a social construct. And they say that gender is just a social construct. That's code for something that obstructs what I want to do. Gender is just a social construct put put out by the, the, the moral morality police to limit our sexuality. No, the Bible wants to limit your sexuality. One man, one woman, one relationship. Entire Christian denominations have been hijacked and perverted to assist the gay and lesbian agenda and normalizing their perversions as mainstream and acceptable to God and man. Politics is no longer the method of governing a nation. It's the ability to pander to the morally bankrupt and sell power and influence to the highest bidder or give away the most stuff. Under the guise of we love you more than the others and we're going to help you. And neither of them are going to help you. Marriage is under attack as to what marriage is by definition. All the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court seems to have no problem replacing the Bible and God himself as the final say concerning all matters of morality. They don't feel at all constrained by the scripture or God's edict. And in an ironic twist that never ceases to amaze me, the Supreme Court who plays God sits beneath the Ten Commandments etched in stone above their head. Talk about irony? There you go. Yet they continually place themselves above the collection of divine thought and express will of Scripture. And while sitting in the very shadow of God's word, they just went ahead and said that what God had said concerning marriage was null and void, an outdated concept and context that didn't fit into our humanistic concepts of fairness. And so they redefined something that was the very first thing that God set out in the Genesis in the order of creation and said marriage can be between two individuals of any bent. And on and on I could go. But suffice it to say that we live in a world that is marked by one consistent and constant thing and that is simply this. There is no longer any certainty or clarity in anything in our world. You say, well, my God, that's depressing. That's reality. But I'll tell you one worse. God chose to put his church right in the middle of that, uh, and he didn't make a mistake when he did it. It's dark, it's uncertain, it's confusing, uh, nothing is clear, uh, it all seems whacked out, uh, 
of it. And I want you to walk in a plain path. And I want you to be clear. And I want you to walk certainly. Oh, Brother Varnell, come get us out of here, God. Nope, I'm not coming to get you anytime soon. Oh, what are you saying? God said, I need you here right now. It's getting darker out there, and I need you to carry the light of my salvation into the darkest reaches of our area. Well, Brother Varnell, what are we? We are the lighthouse. We are the lighthouse. Well, Brother Warnell, what kind of church is this? This is an apostolic Pentecostal church. Well, what does that mean? Are y'all Protestant? We are neither Protestant nor are we Catholic. You say, well, you got to be one or the other. No, you don't. We're here for any of them. <laughs> Read your church history. I am neither Protestant nor am I Catholic. I was here before either one of them. We are apostolic Pentecostals, the original church. We were here at the day of Pentecost uh, is where we trace our roots back to. We were here before the Catholics uh, and we were here before those who protested against the Catholics and left them. We're not part of a reform movement. We are the church. uh, The church that has never left the original tenets uh, of the apostolic faith. Um, We have no need to protest uh, nor do we have need of reform. Uh, We just need to keep walking uh, in a plain path. Brother Love, we are the original bride of Christ. We track our roots back to the very first apostolic outpouring in Acts chapter 2 when it said, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered in one place with one accord and suddenly a sound as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all all filled with the Holy Ghost uh, and began to speak with other tongues uh, as the Spirit of the Lord gave utterance. What is the lighthouse? That. This is that. We are His body in this earth. And we only have one need. Only one thing that we can provide God. To walk in absolute biblical clarity. 45 years of preaching and teaching for one reason. To birth a church that can walk in Charlottesville in the midst of the mess that's been going on around here and say, now I know why you placed the lighthouse here. Now now I know why Bishop Love was moved on by the Holy Ghost to, to drive up here from a sunny vacation spot called Florida and move up here to a place called Charlottesville, Virginia with seven people in a church made out of block with a tin roof in disrepair. Why? Because he knew that Charlottesville was going to need a a lighthouse and Charlottesville was going to need a rapidly faithful and rapidly consecrated and dedicated group. 
hear me. God didn't make a mistake by planting this church here. He knew the darkness that was coming. He knew the confusion that was coming. He knew the hatred and the strife. And he said, I'm going to place my church right in the middle of it. And this is the lighthouse for a confusing time. What are we if we're not Protestant or Catholic? We're Apostolic Pentecostals, but what does that mean? Thrilled that you asked. We are apostolic in doctrine and deportment. We don't look like them. We don't walk like them. We don't talk like them. We're not trying to be as close to them as we can and still make heaven. We are walking in a clear path. A clear and a plain path. Well, I want to fit in. Then you're in the wrong place. He said, I'm looking for a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about what that word peculiar meant, but I'm going to tell you what it means in the Greek. It means peculiar. God never wanted his people to fit in. Ladies, men, when you walk through the mall, God wants people to be able to look at you and say, there goes them apostolics. Oh, if we're going to grow our church, we're going to have to make it where it's palatable to everybody. No, God, mm, help me, Jesus. God never called his church to be like everybody else. Brother Love, the word church is ecclesia. By definition, it means called out from among them. We're not supposed to look like them, talk like them, walk like them, speak like them, go where they go, want what they want, act like they act. We are different. We are peculiar. We are God's church. We ought to be proud of it. Everywhere we go, they say, you look homely. You say what you want. It looks heavenly. Note to self, be nice. We're apostolic in doctrine and deportment, but we're Pentecostal in experience and spiritual birth. So when people ask you what the lighthouse is, you tell them it's an apostolic Pentecostal church. We teach the exact doctrine that Christ gave the apostles. Well, Brother Barney, if you just change this, can't do it. If I change this, I'm no longer his church. Oh, boy. You see, the problem with flesh is this. Flesh wants strong principles unless it keeps me from doing that thing I like to do. Then I want strong principles with an exception. Let me tell you, when you become valuable to the kingdom, when you say, put all the exceptions aside... Pastor, you preach the unvarnished truth of God's word. And if I like it, I'm going to follow it. And if I don't like it, I'm really going to follow it. 
because I want to be the lighthouse for confusing times. Do you realize this building is not the lighthouse? This property is not the lighthouse. This carpet and lights and sound system and screens and baptismal and music and chairs and pulpit and spits. not. That's not the kingdom. That's not the lighthouse. It's you that are the lighthouse. And if this building burns down, we'll throw a tent up next door, grab a generator, and off we go because the church of the living God is in us. It's not in things. God has invested this in earthen vessels. Come on, somebody. Clap your hands, throw your head back, and shout the victory. cry of religious people today, not saved people, religious people, is that we need to be more relevant to our society. We need to be more hip, more in step with the times. That's not Bible. We need to keep on being what God birthed us to be. Well, we might offend somebody. Truth usually is a little bit offensive. Yeah, it is. I went to the doctor a couple years ago and told him my back was hurting. He said, well, Reverend, old Dr. Stinnett, come here, Dr. Stinnett, I'm going to punch you in the nose. <laughs> Dr. Stinnett said, well, Reverend, it's real, sir, real simple. The problem with your back is your front. I said, come again? I was a little confused. I'm paying him to tell me I'm fat. I got, my wife could have done that for free. He said, the problem with your back is your front is pulling it in the wrong direction. Lose 60 pounds, your back will quit hurting. And Jack will be a very dull boy. Lost 35 pounds. They said, how'd you do it? I've been in a bad mood for four months. <laughs> Ain't no sunshine when they go. <laughs> what do we need? We need a rabid commitment to the clarity, the plainness, the certainty of God's expressed will. We don't need a granddaughter clause. Everything's wrong till my granddaughter wants to do it. I'm trying to be sweet today, I am. In the midst of this murky time and in this confused world, many churches and religious movements have joined hand in hand with the adversary of their soul and we as humanity seem to have joined forces with Satan himself not to fight him but to aid him in destroying us completely if you tell people they're killing themselves morally they want to kill you for telling them that you a hater yes I am a hater I hate Satan and I hate sin and I hate what it's doing to you You see, we live in a world that's so touchy. 
You can't say nothing. My dad couldn't pastor now. My dad would run himself. That would be all he had in church. And he would probably get on himself. But my dad would tell your hide. In fact, he'd call your name, tell you to stand up, and tell your hide in front of everybody. You did that to somebody now, you, they'd probably move to an island by themselves, buy volleyball, and just call it even. We're so touchy. We're so sensitive. The Bible teaches us that in the last days, that's one of the signs. People will be easily offended. Pastor, I don't want you to actually pastor me. I want you to be my divinely appointed suggester. Suggest to me what might be a better way. That's what we want. It's what this society wants. They do not want straight truth. The cry of the aged saints that I've heard of most of my life has been come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I'm beginning to understand their desire to escape this evil, corrupt, perverted place we call home and make the journey to that place of perfect peace. The old hymn of the church that we don't sing enough anymore is, and I know I'm getting old, but oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. home at last ever to rejoice but God said no not yet because I need a lighthouse in a confusing world I need people that are dedicated and committed to pastoral authority that says you preach it pastor and we will exemplify it in the community you tell us what we need to do from that book and we'll do it hear me that's not a license for him to go crazy and start preaching extra biblical junk but when he's in that book you better let him in your house Oh, I'm going to say it again. I may not have any friends when it's over, but when pastor's in that book, the Bible said a wise woman in Israel opens the door. Come on, don't fight the man of God. Step back and say, come on in my house. Look around, inspect it. Make sure it's clear and plain. God knew what was coming. And God placed us here at this specific time for this specific season because he needs us to be the mouthpiece for a clear agenda. And make no mistake, his agenda, his agenda has not changed at all. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That kind of shoots that Trinitarian stuff in the foot. Oh, yes, it does. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are co-equal. No, it isn't. Matthew 28, 18 said that's wrong. All power. Jesus, Son, all power. I got it all. They're not co-equal. Oh, boy, I don't, don't preach that, Marty. You'll get st- That's not where we're supposed to be. Forgive me. When you're a Pentecostal preacher and you get that doctrine... You can't stop there. You've you got to say that. Verse 19, he says, now as it pertains to you, I've got all the power. I'm going to invest it in you. Here's what I need you to do. 
I need you to go, therefore, and teach all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father. What is that name? In the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. Everybody say, do what he said. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, God, have commanded you. And if you will, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. God still wants us to go and teach and baptize. But we sometimes in the apostolic movement want to say if I live holy and separate and righteous, then that's I've done what I'm supposed to do. No, that's only the thou shalt not. So let me tell you that you must be. You must be a light in a dark world. You must be a witness. You can't sit here and talk about how righteous and holy you are and how you don't do this and you don't do that. I agree you shouldn't do that stuff. That's what he said. Observe all those things. But the same book that said thou shalt not said get up off your hide. There is a world that is lost. It's dying. It's going to hell. And I put you here for a reason. clarity there you go well I'm Pentecostal well let's talk about that we derive our origins from the feast of Pentecost at the feast of Pentecost there were to be two loaves go read your Bible you know if you read that Bible there's some good stuff in there Charlie Mahaney said that Bible shed a whole lot of light on them commentaries. Some folks want to read the commentary what some pinhead theologian said about the Bible and accept that over the Bible. No, that Bible shed a whole lot of light on them pinheads. At the Feast of Pentecost, brother, they were to give two loaves. Not one, two. Watch this. One of those was for themselves. Symbolizes the Holy Ghost. That's what happened at Pentecost. The other loaf was made, not for them, to give away. I thank God I talked in tongues. Well, you hog, you eating all your bread? What about the other loaf? What are you doing with that? Well, we're keeping it over here. We're keeping it clean. Bread that is not eaten ruins. You know your mom beat your rear end if you left the bread open on the counter? Uh-huh. What? Uh-huh. What's the matter with you? We ain't made out of money. Close the bread up. Uh-huh. Was that my mom only? Uh-huh. thought maybe I was abused there for a minute. <laughs> my mother had a wood spoon in her purse at all times. We call it the ministry of the wooden spoon. She was apt to teach. <laughs> Mama, I'll whoop your butt at the police station. <laughs> she would. It, the, 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 <laughs> then people come check your home out, see if it's suitable for children. They'd be like, Mama, I'll whip you in front of them. <laughs> and if they said something, Mama, I'll probably whip them. But watch this, they won't know shootings in school. I'm just going to throw that out there. Worst thing we had was Johnny hit somebody in the nose. 
And then if you got your butt whooped at school, this is not even in the notes. This is for charging you extra. If you got a whipping at school, they'd call your house, tell them you got a whipping, and your daddy whip you again. Now we got it where the teacher can't even raise their voice at a student and parents are scared to correct their kids and our prisons are overflowing and our opioid addictions are out of control. It's getting more confusing by the day, but the lighthouse is getting brighter by the day. Hear me when I tell you, if we've ever celebrated a place, we need to celebrate this one. If we've ever given sacrificially to something, we need to give to this. This is the nightlight for the world. Come on up here and whoever's coming and get me out of this mess. I'm not really ready for you to play. Just stand there because it gives them hope that there is an end. I got more notes than gasoline. I think I got 25, 27 pages of notes. But I'm blind, so it's real big letters. We live in a confusing world. There are things in life that seem to be married because of relationships as opposites. Hot needs cold. Up needs down. Pain needs pleasure. Light needs darkness. And sinful flesh needs moral absolutes. That's the opposite. Sinful flesh needs the opposing moral absolute. Now listen to me very carefully. Everything in the feast cycle every year, all you preachers put down your pens and don't steal this from me, would you? You thieving rascals, I see you soon. I, I preached this in Florida, and Jeff Arnold preached it at camp meetings all over the country and called me and made fun of me because he did it. In the feast cycle, every year in the Jewish feast cycle, Brother Love, they did the same things on the same dates every year to commemorate certain things that God had done for his people. And every year, beginning with the first cycle when it started back over, all the way up to the Feast of Pentecost, all the bread had to be offered without leaven. Anybody ever took communion? That stuff that the dog won't even eat? Unleavened bread. Ugh. Everything leading up to Pentecost. Don't, don't write this down. Everything up to Pentecost was unleavened. Now, unleavened bread has some, some characteristics. It's flat. It's dry. It's hard. It's tasteless. Unless hockey puck has a taste. My brother... I feel in you a kindred spirit with me. I perceive you like a biscuit. Amen. Right now, I would smother my mother for a good biscuit. I have been on a, uh, I have been on a strict no-carb diet. I hate the man who made that up. I hate him. 
I pray that he died slowly in pain. I've lost 35 pounds, but there ain't no sunshine. I ain't got no clothes. I got two suits that'll fit me. I got 31 suits. I got them from 220 pounds to 306. But in the middle where I'm at, I got two. But have you, have you ever sat around in the morning when your mama's cooking biscuits? I'm not talking about them womp biscuits where you womp it on the counter and it blows up and you take them out. I'm talking about biscuits. I'm talking about with your granny with flour on her and looking like a granny, not skinny. And they, they, nothing worse than a skinny granny. Your granny's supposed to be big. She got to have arm fat that moves. She got, talking about put a bowl under her arm. Biscuits, you know what I'm talking about. Where I come from, we call them cat head biscuits. They're about the size of a cat's head. That is not a biscuit. That is not a biscuit. That is a biscuit. Uh, I'm going to offer baking classes later. But my grandmother was known as the fastest biscuit maker, and I told you you're just giving them hope. Go ahead and play something soft. Do this something, this something or other. But my grandmother made biscuits, and my God, they'd wake a man. They'd make a man who had his nose cut off and wake him up. And we didn't buy bacon in packs. We bought it in sides, and you cut it off. My grandpa had two little barns you couldn't go into. He had three other ones, but two you couldn't go into. One, he smoked the bacon. And the hog, thank God we're not under kosher dietary laws. Love me some hog. I'm hungry, by the way. <laughs> I could eat a small child right now. But he had another one where he made medicine. <laughs> My grandma called it medicine. Making moonshine is what he's making. We call it medicine. Anybody know what black drought is? Am I the only one know what black drought is? If your granny says she's going to give you some black drought, lie and say you feel better. Or get the dictionary and carry it in the bathroom because you're going to need something to read. going to be there a minute. <laughs> yes, you will. My grandma, until she died, two years ago, she, I'm sorry, one year ago, she died at 98. And she said she was dying because they done took away all the medicine that works. Y'all know, know them old people I'm talking about. They ain't need no doctor. They go out in the woods and find stuff. Come home, burn it on a stove, mix it up, make you take it. For years, I couldn't grow no hair on my chest, and I used to promise you it's because my grandma put them hot towels and that mustard on my chest. <laughs> burn everything. Burn the roots out. Rubbing fertilizer on it. Something. 
You better tell my grandma you, you feel it tight in your chest. She'll go in the barn and get medicine. I don't know if it healed you, but you went to sleep and you didn't wake up until you was better. When the babies were teething, some medicine. Whop! They just fall out. My granny didn't mess around with you. You thought, thought you were sick. She headed to the barn. Many times I wanted to start me a barn for my children when they was teething. Or granny when you need her. Telling me I can't feed a baby mashed potatoes until they're six months old. They're going to starve the baby. My mama can't sleep at night. Waking up all night. Give the baby some mashed potatoes and they'll sleep all night. People crazy. Where was I? Pentecost. I had a Tommy Craft moment, excuse me. Every now and then I have one of those and go, oh, Jesus. Get back over here on the reservation. Amen. Every year in the Feast of Pentecost, it was unleavened bread up to Pentecost. All the way over, unleavened bread. Flat, dry, hard, and tasteless until Pentecost came along. But in the feast cycle, if you'll notice this, go study it out yourself so you can say you found it. Everything from Pentecost forward was to be with leaven. See, what God's trying to show us is the lighthouse is not like another church. You go to these other churches, you get a good nap. Temperature's just right, lighting's just right, sound's just right, music's just right. Ah, oh, it's very comfortable. If we get in here tight enough, I can sleep and not fall over. Because it's flat, it's dry, it's hard, and it's tasteless. And you ever sit around and smell that, 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 those biscuits cooking and they're rising and you're sitting there mouth-watering and brand new apple butter that grandma just made and plum preserves she just made off the plum trees and then some of it she didn't reduce it down she left it in syrup form for the pancakes devil's a liar rotten slew foot I could eat 63 pancakes right now with peanut butter on <laughs> ain't had one in four months I would probably beat your child up for one right now. I'm so hungry for it. But my sister was going to learn how to cook biscuits one morning, so we, we try to send all the females in with Granny when she's in there. Pay close attention. We can't have this lost in the family. My God. Get in there. Get a camera. Do something. Video it. Because there was no recipes at Grandma's house. She just put a little bit of that in there, a little bit of this in there. And it always came out, and it tastes better than anything. And I declare it's the pots. Something. I don't know. Grandma might have spit in it. I don't know. But it. So my sister went in there and she was making biscuits, and my grandma was cooking the rest of it and guiding her how to make the biscuits. And she was so she got them all on the on the deal and put them in the oven. And we we're all sitting there at the table, and everything else is progressing. And my sister's got a puzzled look on her face, looking in the in the oven. Grandma, something's wrong. She didn't put no yeast in them. 
and she made about 25 or 30 of the nicest hockey pucks you've ever seen. <laughs> Throw them in the yard for the dog to eat. Dog won't even eat them. You see, that's the way our lives were. Spiritually, we were flat, dry. We were hard-hearted. There was no savor to us. But Jesus comes along and he pours out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. And from Pentecost ever since then, things have been with leaven. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then he looked at us and said, oh, taste and see that I, 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 the leaven of Pentecost, Christ, spirit, see that I am good. Can I just say this to you today? This is the lighthouse for this confusing place. And they're not coming here. Uh, if they wanted to go to a Baptist church, they'd have went to one. Uh, they came to a Pentecostal church. Uh, and our reputation, I feel the Holy Ghost, our reputation precedes us. We got a reputation that we'll dance before the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, we got a reputation uh, that we shout uh, and we talk in tongues uh, and we run aisles uh, and we get the Holy Ghost have his way. When our guests come in, I'm here to tell you, Lighthouse, uh, be a lighthouse. Uh, they came wanting to feel what you've got. Uh, they want what you have. I vote we give it to them. Brother Mark, I'm only going to have two closings today. I normally have five. You can stay standing or you can sit or whatever you want to do. Situational ethics have replaced moral absolutes and we left the natural use of everything including the woman or the man and then we have begun to call that which is evil good. People change, oh boy, their gender like we change socks. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me two weeks ago, that same three weeks ago, that same morning. And he said, we are living at dusk. We are living at dusk on the time clock of God. It's not completely dark yet, but it's rapidly going there. That time of day when it's not night but it's not day and everything is confusing. It's just murky. Accidents happen more readily at dusk. You can see something but you can't make it out clearly. You can't tell the rate of speed that you're closing on something. You can't determine direction of travel as well. It's a time when you can become easily confused and lost and spatially disoriented. And it's a time of complete uncertainty because we are living at the dusk of time in the last days. And this is when I believe Satan has an advantage. And I'm going to give you this and I'm going to shut up. Satan has an advantage at dusk. He's not going to overcome us. But he is more advantageous right now than he's ever been. He's been working since the Garden of Eden to get to this point in time. A time when everything is questionable. A time when nothing is plain. 
Everything is questioned a time devoid of certainty. Satan has been working since the Garden of Eden to get to this day. It's not a new campaign. It began in the Genesis. And it began when the serpent slithered up to Eve and said, Hath God said? It began with a question. It's going to wrap up with a question. Do you have any oil for your lamps? Satan approached Eve and simply asked her a question, the very first question mark in the scripture. And with Eve's willingness to entertain the question, not her answer, just her willingness to listen to the question. Mankind reached out and joined hands with Satan. And we've been assisting our adversary ever since. That question was the opening salvo in an age-old war. Satan launched an attack that's never seen him take a break. And he's never seen him walk away from the fight. He has continually pressed his plan on man until we have arrived here at this time at dusk. When all that we have left for sure in the world is questions. And God said... I'm going to put the lighthouse uh-huh. here for this time, uh-huh. for such a time as this. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, why, why is it getting so dark? Because I need your light to yes. shine. Hallelujah. Everything is spirit driven now. Harry Potter, spirit-driven. It's all spirit-driven. Everything on TV is witches and goblins and ghosts and animals that speak. And You realize that's not a new spirit, right? You realize that's been around since the beginning of time. It's just repackaged junk. Well, what do we do? Get yourself a prayer room. And get yourself a Bible. And get yourself to the church every time the doors are open. And get your checkbook out and finance the passionate dream that this man has. So that Charlottesville, as it grows darker and darker and darker, has a light that grows brighter and brighter and brighter. church has been placed here to counter all confusion with clarity we're not called to politics we're not called to social activism we're not find me in the bible where the church is called to social activism you see the social activist thinks that if we can control the politicians and the argument then we can change things that's not true because this stuff doesn't come from politics or laws it comes from the heart of man and God said that's like putting a band-aid on cancer what you need to do is give me something that will change the evil heart of man Well, you can march all you want to march men are still going to be evil on both sides. That's right. But God wants a church.
devoid of all that trash. I'm not a Caucasian American. You're not a Latin American. You're not an African American. You're not an Asian American. You're a Pentecostal American. And God wants to take us past race and past social stuff and past sin. And he wants to do surgery on our soul. Well, I'm going to send money to this political party. Don't waste it. They're both crooks. What am I going to do? I'm going to put it in God's house. And I'm going to rescue a soul. And the lighthouse is going to shine. You see, Satan needs confusion in order to have his agenda make sense. Because if anybody can see clearly, no one in their right mind would choose Satan's agenda. But at dusk, in a time of fog and confusion, he twists things. But he called his church to let their yes be yes and their no be no. Now that doesn't mean we need to get mean and hard and nasty and self-righteous and judgmental and mean. But it also means we don't need to be weak-kneed, panty-waisted either. I love you. Just because I disagree with you does not mean I don't love you. And that's where our society's lost their mind. If you don't agree that my sin is okay, then you hate me. No, I don't hate you. I hate what sin is doing to you. I love you. Whom the Lord loveth, he... God, you disagree with me. You hate me. No, I love you because I'm going to whip you. That's what the book said. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. But watch me. This junk out there has invaded the minds of the church. They don't love me. They don't love me. That old preacher don't love me. Every time I go, he preaches something out of that Bible that hurts my feelings. My mama didn't care about my feelings. She cared about my behavior. Brother Barnell, why are you preaching this? Because 45 years is a terrible sacrifice to waste. Y'all asked me to come preach a church celebration of 45 years, and I'm trying to do that. And I need you to think. I believe what the Lord's trying to say to the lighthouse is this, and I'm not preaching anymore. Now I'm going to give you prophetically what he gave me for this service because I got better sermons than this. For 45 years, I have sustained you. I have brought you through the darkest of times. I have sustained you when everything seemed hopeless and you thought it would never last. I have maintained my light in this city. And I have brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. 
And the only thing standing between the lighthouse and the revival and the harvest of souls that you have prayed and fasted and worked 45 years for is a radical commitment to walk in clarity and be the lighthouse that he has saved you for 45 years to be. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel my help interfering right now. Somebody needs to let the Holy Ghost have his way. God's trying to confirm his word with signs. The Lord has spoke to some of you. The Lord has dealt with some of you about some things recently and you've kind of said, Lord, I don't know. And God's saying, I need the I don't know to go away. I need for you to say to me, whatever you have for me, God, do it. My God, I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. God said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She said, how is this going to happen? Yeah, I don't even know a man. He said, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. And that which is conceived of you is going to be of the Spirit. Watch this. It didn't happen until Mary said, be it done unto me according to thy word. In other words, I give you permission to use me to do what you need to do. You see, God is calling the lighthouse after 45 years for one thing. I need you to give me permission to do through you what I've been working on for 45 years. if you're willing to say like Mary be it done unto me according to thy word use me to do it God if you're willing to do that I want you to get out from where you are and get to this altar I don't care if you gotta crawl I don't care if you gotta use a walker I don't care if you gotta be carried up here Come on, right now, let's turn this whole place into a prayer room. What's your answer going to be today? The question is clear, but what will your answer be? He's heard enough of the not right now. He's heard enough of I can't, I can't do it. He, all he wants to hear from you today is yes. Come on, will you speak a simple yes unto him right now? Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every misconception. God, whatever you want to do through me, whatever you want to do, use me, Jesus. 
I'd say yes I'll be that light make it plain because I know that there are those who are watching me make it plain Lord and I'll follow make it plain Lord and I'll go where you want me to go I'll do what you want me to do I'll stand firm upon your word come on right now the Holy Ghost is moving the Holy Ghost is moving in this house I'll do it God I'll do it God my answer is yes Lord no matter what the question God my answer is yes no matter what you decide my answer is yes no matter what you desire my answer is yes Come on, there's some moms and dads in here who need to give a clear yes because those babies are watching you. They're watching your example. You can tell them all day long what they should do, but they're going to follow after what you do. Come on, is there a yes from a mother? Is there a yes from a father in this house? Hallelujah. 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 You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. Come on, that's it. Reach out to it. Use me, Jesus. I'm going to be a lighthouse.
Come on right now. The Holy Ghost is speaking to some of you to step out and begin to operate. I want you to find somebody and begin to join with them in prayer. He called you to be a lighthouse, but not to do it on your own. Come on, reach out. Let the Holy Ghost minister through you today.